Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Welcome, everyone, to what I think is going to be an amazing edition of Training Unleashed. We have Lori Guest with us, and she is special. And she's a special for a lot of reasons. One, we're going to learn a lot. She's an expert in customer service, and she talks about the concept of the 10, sec the 10 cent decision, which, by the way, I think is hyperinflation because I used to be a penny for your thoughts. But, uh, but anyhow, the, you know, the little things. So you're going to get a lot of really great ideas. She's also a certified professional speaker. And I'm going to tell you something. As a professional speaker, uh, I pay homage because I know how tough it is to get that certification. And this means that she is, you know, not too much pressure, Lori, on the talking. <laughs> but uh, this, this means it's truly, this is a very small group of people, very talented. Lori, I'm going to just start with, where did you come up with 10 cents? Why isn't it a penny for your thoughts, a nickel, a dime? And what does it really mean to make a 10 cent decision? That's oh, great way to kick it off. I love that. Well, I uh, really think that the way we package things makes a huge difference. And the perceived value that customers have in the things that we offer. So the where the story comes from is that if we go into a very expensive hotel, and let's say we spend $450, $500 a night to stay at the hotel, and then we get to our room, and there's two room temperature bottled of water waiting for us. There's a tag hanging off of it. And it usually says $7, right? Yeah. And so not only do I have to pay you to stay here, but now you want $7 for a bottle of water that isn't that great. And my point is, is that the hotel chain knows that they could bring in a semi load of bottled water for about 10 cents a piece if they wanted to. But they make a 10 cent decision not to do that for all the reasons that we know. And so I go on to explain how the way that we offer things makes the biggest difference. So after this first experience that I just got done talking about, I went to a second boutique hotel and there was a mini fridge in my room. And inside the mini fridge was two bottles of ice mountain. And then on top of the refrigerator was a sign and it said, dear valued guest. Now, first of all, I love it when they take the time to put my last name on the sign. But <laughs> <laughs> you see your last name everywhere. That's right. <laughs> um, complimentary bottled waters are found in the refrigerator. Enjoy. And so my whole point is, is that that 10 cent decision they made, in this case, 20 cents, it was two bottles of water, made my experience better. So it cost them almost nothing. So the book title is The 10 Cent Decision, How Small Change Pays Off Big. And it's filled with practical ideas that are low cost, no cost, that almost any organization can do if they take the time to plan it and train it, which is why I'm excited to be here, because you love training as much as I love training. And we are a rare breed, I think. Yes, that's true. So let me ask the natural question. Why do you love training? Why, why am I excited about training? Yeah, why do you love training? I love training because that's where the secret is. That's, that's the secret sauce. People wonder why do some organizations flourish while others struggle? It's because they've made time 
to grow people, nurture people, mentor them, all words that are synonymous with training, they've put them in position to be successful rather than hiring what you think is a good person and throwing them in the deep end with two hours of orientation on day one. And that drives me crazy because if we do customer service training on day one, they're still thinking about where do I hang my coat? Where do I punch in? Who do I eat lunch with? Their brain is not even close to thinking about this is how we're going to treat our guest. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So in watching a clip from one of your speeches, Uh-oh. by the way, I, I said this before, but you know, you're a great speaker and Thank you. You, light, you light up a room. I just love this concept is you all know what you need to know to improve customer service. But now we're going to see if you actually do it. Mm-hmm. Tell me one why you came up with that the way the context of doing saying that because I think it's very interesting. And what the knowing have, and doing part. Yeah, and and yes. what have you found? Well, the the metaphor I like to use is I think customer service and weight loss have a lot in common. So I've battled a weight problem my entire life. And a few years ago, I went to see the doctor and he said, Lori, I got to ask you a question. How is it possible that a motivational speaker can have a weight problem? And I said, well, that's easy. I see the golden arches. I'm motivated to turn in. (laughs) (laughs) But everybody knows that if I burn more than I eat, I lose weight. And knowing and doing is two different things. And customer service is the same way. I think at the core, every adult knows what needs to be done to deliver great service. But I don't know that they're actually doing it. So for about 15 years, we've had a division that does secret shopping. And some companies will hire us to pretend to be a customer, a client, a patient, or a patron. And we can do that online, by phone, or even in-person visits, depending on the industry. And what we find is that a majority of places are, they can be good to average, but there aren't very many that are absolutely spectacular at consistent customer service delivery. And so that's why I got excited about the idea that it's one thing if your people know it, but it's something very different if they're actually doing it consistently and doing it when you're not there. So if any of the people listening today are owners and managers and, 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 and when you're there, they're doing great. My question would be, what are they doing when you're not there? And I hope it's just as stellar, um, but that's something worth checking out. You know, I, I love this concept. So the companies that you know that do excellent customer service, how do they train people? How do they keep the culture alive? Because a lot of companies will train, get people excited, and then, you know, to your point, you know, it wanes. How how do companies train and keep it alive? Yeah, I think they have to keep it alive. And it's no different than, again, back to the metaphor, it's like working out. If I'm going to go work out once and hope to lose 20 pounds, that is not going to work. But if I go every day consistently doing what needs to be done, I'm going to get a result. And so that's a metaphor I like. And I also like parenting, whether anyone listening has ever been a parent or not. We get the concept of we don't teach a child. And I'm not calling employees children, but the family dynamic is the same. If you and I own and manage this company, you're playing the role of the dad. I'm playing the role of the mom. We have to agree on what we want our household to be like, our culture. And then we have to make sure that all the children understand these are the rules of our household. And here's the hard part, Evan. There is a consequence if you do not follow the rules of the family. If, if we have a rule that we don't swear at each other, and then all of a sudden we've got a 12-year-old that's using foul language, there ought to be a consequence for that, or he's going to do it again. 
And it's the same rule in business. It's just that consequences are very hard because they hurt us too. And, and there aren't a lot to choose from when it comes to consequences. So I think that how we get the desired result is create the culture and enforce it and accept no less. That sounds like it makes sense. Doing it is a lot harder. Yeah. You know, I want to get into the into the consequences because I, I think it's a fascinating thing because, you know, the, you need to motivate people. And I, I have a thing I call the five to one rule, which is a good manager should notice and acknowledge five positive actions for every one corrective. Excellent. And, and I, I think that because I think that when a person knows that you see the good things that they're doing, then they really appreciate your comment. But if all they do is see you nagging at them and only seeing the bad things, then they think, you know, you don't get me. You don't understand me. You get upset. People leave. Absolutely. So, and they're saying what a terrible boss you were because a lot of the ratios you'll see is zero to five, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and five, everything is a criticism and sometimes done very harshly. I, I suppose you, like me, when you're out in the world as a, as a customer, different places, you observe how are people being treated and are we watching people being dressed down for a certain behavior rather than that old adage of let's praise in public, let's criticize in private. Something as yeah. simple as that. We see people break that all the time in their culture. It's interesting. After I give speeches, people come up to me and they say all the time, I follow the five to one rule. Unfortunately, it's the one in reverse. <laughs> and they, and they, they get it. They're going to make the change. But So let me ask you this. Let me reverse the interview for just a second because I'm yeah. curious. What happens if you have your, your one to five rule, but you're working with someone that you are having to dig so deep to find those sincere compliments? How do you handle that situation? If I'm working for you and you just can't really find much because I'm not a very strong employee, what do you do? Well, for, first, I want to compliment you on making a point, which is they have to be sincere. Not only do they have to be sincere, but they have to be specific. Right. You go to somebody and you're saying you're doing a good job, it kind of bounces off them, and they, eh, they don't really believe it. That's when you, right. You know something, that was, that was one of the nicest, the way you handled it I've ever seen. You know, I appreciate this and that, that, that lands deeply. Yes. When I look at underperforming employees, you know, the first thing I look at is, do they have a willingness to learn? Okay. If they have a willingness to learn, then I want them. If they don't have a willingness to learn and they are as bad as you describe, I need to move on. Gotcha. Because I'm going to knock my head over. But if they have a willingness to learn, there's a lot of acknowledgement you can give people as they learn. I like that. And I like that a lot. One of the things I talk about in the book, The Ten Cent Decision, is what I call the praise formula. So I agree very much with you. I, I tell a story in the book. I won't go through the long version now, but I used to work for a doctor that at the end of every day, he would just yell down the hallway, thanks a lot. He'd just yell it out to everybody. It wasn't specific like you're talking about. So it didn't feel like he really was praising us. And, and sometimes we'd hear his key in the office door and my coworker, Donna, would be like, thanks a lot, you know, because you knew it was coming, right? And so it was just white noise. And I realized over time that he didn't understand the specificity of what you're talking about, to be very specific about what you're complimenting. So I invented a thing that I try to teach that's called the praise formula. Really easy to remember. Even if people are driving down the road right now and can't make a note. They can remember this just hearing it. It's three pieces. It is the person's name that you're complimenting. 
followed by specifically what is it are you complimenting them for and which is your what you're talking about and then why does it matter so listen to the difference you're working for me you dealt with a difficult patient today let's say we're in a healthcare setting at the end of the day I come up and I go hey good job today see you tomorrow right that's blanket praise Yes. Or I come up and get within range of you. That means that I'm not clear on the other side of the room. I'm also not sitting on your lap close talking, right? There is a reasonable two arms distance from us. And I look you in the eye and I say, hey, Evan, I wanted to tell you, the way you handled Agnes Jones today and you calmed her down was huge. By the time we got in to do her treatment, she was all settled down and it went successful because of the efforts you made. Thank you. Okay, so that's a made-up scenario off the top of my head, but you get the gist. I acknowledged your name, what you specifically did, and why it matters to me. And you're going to go home standing up a little prouder. You're going to be able to, to tell your family, hey, guess what? Doctor gave me a compliment today or whoever it was. And it, the, it, it why, the, why, the, why, the why is the why is great. Mm -hmm. I love the why. And, yeah. and it matters. It also makes you think. If you're, if you're a manager or an owner, it makes you think, okay, if I'm going to give Lori a compliment – I now have to not only know what am I complimenting, but why am I makes you have to work harder for this situation, which I think is good in this example. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. I think that I think that is that is terrific. So let's get back to, OK, now you need to admonish somebody. They have they've done something poorly. Mm -hmm. What are the ways to do that that I, I will say are effective? Because I find that the minute you say to someone in some fashion they've done something wrong, they they go to story, they go to personal sadness. Uh, they're not you know, attentive listeners yes. waiting for ways to improve. So right. how what are your recommendations around? Mm -hmm. Well, I always used to call them teachable moments when I was managing people because, uh, again, I'm, as you can tell, I'm a big fan of metaphors. And my, my one for this is the whole idea is my job is to keep people between the ditches. Keep them between the ditches. And there's this rumble strip, a piece of path between the road they're supposed to be on and the ditch. And the rumble path is when we know there's trouble. So you're driving down the road, you hit a rumble strip, you just pull yourself right back on the road. You don't think anything of it. But if you ignore the rumble strip or you went over it too fast to do anything about it, you end upside down in the ditch. As a trainer, as a leader, my job is the second that wheel hits the rumble strip to get you back on track with the heart of a coach or the heart of a parent more than a disciplinarian. So if I'm coming at you shaking my finger and going, you know, Evan, the next time you're in front of a customer, I want you and I'm using that tone and this kind of thing, then you're automatically thinking, oh my gosh, how much trouble am I in? Am I going to lose my job? What am I going to, like you said, you're not an active listener because your brain is whizzing off into some other danger zone. But if I can help you to understand and also me to understand you. So in answer to your question, if you were in trouble for something, the first thing I would do is try to gather some more data from you before I come back with the teachable moment. So let's again say you interacted with a customer in a way that was not meeting our culture. Instead of just saying, I did not like the way that you handled Mrs. Jones today, I would say, hey, let's talk about Mrs. Jones. When I came on the scene, there was already some stuff going on between you two. Help me to understand what was going on. What happened before I approached? Because clearly she did something that stopped you from giving the type of service that we want. Tell me about that. So now you're in the conversation because I'm allowing you to share first. You know what you might say is, you know what? I just blew it. I, I knew as soon as those words came out of my mouth, you might step up and take ownership of this without me ever having to say, hey, you're down in the ditch. I might help you find the rumble strip all by yourself and let you save face. And it happens a lot that way. I love that technique. I mm -hmm. love that technique. 
Yeah. Now it works. It works if you respond the way I want. It doesn't if you say, I don't know what our problem was. You know, again, if you get defensive or we go down a different trail, we got to use a new technique. But that's that's my favorite one. Yeah. Another option with that is sort of building on the idea is after they describe what happened is saying now reflecting on it, do you see any other options? Right. Were there other ways you could have handled it? Right. And let them identify. Exactly. And I think another important thing with training, and I, and I say this all the time, is we can't just tell people what to do. We must give them the tools. So yeah. if I just say to you, you know, you need to be nicer to our customers. Okay, that's an instruction without, it, it's almost a relative phrase. But if I can say, here's some tools, here's a book, here's a tape series, here's a mentor, here's a, a, a buddy system, here's an, whatever it's going to be, I have to give you something. If, because if you knew how to do it, I would expect you to already be doing it. You know, I, I love what you're saying because I do think people assume that whatever they were taught and grew up in life in terms of how they should treat others, whether it's other employees or other you know customers or whoever, it's all different. It and is. To take the time and give clarity it is a very, very valuable thing because what I think of what other people... I remember as a kid, my family business was in the appliance business, and this guy who was an installer said, you know, I just installed a, a dryer in this customer's home, and I noticed there was a dent in it. So I slipped it in before they saw the dent, and they'll never notice the dent. And this guy, like, bragging, like, he had done us a favor. <laughs> I'm like, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. He was so, looking for praise and accolades. And that, I know, you know, I know, back, I know. Right? I thought, no, we don't. So, so again, in that situation, I'd come back with, well, while I really appreciate your efforts, Earl, to try to make sure that they didn't notice the dent, our culture is we're going to get them the right product, right? So it's that whole acknowledgement thing, giving them whatever small compliment you can, because he obviously thinks he's doing the right thing for your family business. He just didn't get, I mean, it, it common sense is a very interesting thing. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, in, in situations like that, it makes you, it makes you wonder, What's mm-hmm. doing to you that's just like that? <laughs> Does make you wonder. We're so glad you're listening to this episode of Training Unleashed, brought to you by Tortal Training. The difference between Tortal Training and other online training companies is we're primarily a training company with technology rather than a technology company that does training. Want to find out more? Just go to tortal.net. That's T O R T A L, tortal.net. This is totally off the topic, but I, when I was coming back from school, working for the summer, I was going out on an installation of appliances, and I'm with this guy who apparently did not know that my family owned the business. Uh-oh. So we get into the customer's home, and the customer has a perfectly good refrigerator, and we're replacing it. The refrigerator, when I say it's perfectly good, it was worked. It was 15 years old. It was too small. They wanted a new refrigerator. Mm-hmm. but. You know, a new refrigerator has a, a usable working refrigerator has a trade-in value, uh-huh. and that if they had asked, we would have paid for it. Right. And at least we would have taken it back with us. Sure. So this guy, this guy goes, and the customer says, "Like, what? If I should do this." And the guy says, "If you slip me fifty, I'll throw it away for you." And then he gets in the wow. car, hands me twenty-five dollars, <laughs> and I just sat there with because I. 
19, I, I sat there with my mouth shut. I went back to my father and I said, this is what happened. And that, that guy was not with the company very long. Wow. <laughs> That story ended different than I thought. I, was, I thought you were going to say, I put that $25 in my pocket and I had a good summer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, no, 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 no. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. My father was a very interesting person. And the one thing he did teach me is he says, it's a small town and treat everybody like they're the most popular person in town. Yeah, you that you, you know, and so, you know, my father has to pick up the phone and call the customer, say, we heard about this, we're going to mail you a check. That's just not how we operate. Yeah, yeah. And you talk about those 10 cent decisions, you know, they end up in people talking. Right. They do. They do. So, when so, you mentioned fathers, I want I want to add this. My dad just passed away on April twelfth of this year, and our son, who is twenty three, asked if he could participate in the eulogy. And I said that he could. I didn't know what he was going to say, but I said yes, he could. And one of the things he said that stuck with me is again, I'm from a thirteen hundred person town originally, very very small town. And my son, who is also named Evan, Evan would say he would ride with Grandpa in the pickup truck, and Grandpa would give his uh, signature three finger wave, which was you know the two end fingers and the thumb thrown out to everybody and he said he would wave at everybody and one day Evan in the eulogy says I said to grandpa you know everybody how do you know everybody and he said that grandpa said to him well Evan I don't know all these people you just need to be nice to everybody that you see and at the time as Evan was given the eulogy the church is just standing room only it's overflowing and Evan stops and he goes I think grandpa was wrong. I think he did know everybody in town, right? <laughs> just oozing with people. And I just think I'll remember that for the rest of my life. And it's exactly what you're saying about your dad is that he represented the family name and the business. And it, it, it's simple, the, the smile and be nice and wave at people. You wouldn't think we'd have to teach it. But the fact is, we do, right? Well, my, my father did exactly the same thing. Walking down the street, he said hello to everyone. And, and I said, do you really know all these people? And he says, I don't want to take a chance. I don't. Oh, uh, I love that. And, you know, I thought it was interesting. And part of what was interesting in him was when you fire people. Mm-hmm. He says, understand, he, this person you're about to fire will be a customer and their family will be a customer. So you have, to, billboards. You have to fire them like they're somebody that's super important. Wow. That, that put a lot on, you know, proper notification, talking to people, proper severance, uh, and, and wow. having the relationship end in a way that that person wouldn't say bad things. You know what? We were in a small town of 20,000 people, metropolitan 60,000 people. You know, you, you couldn't afford to upset people. No, absolutely not. Sounds like your dad and my dad would have been good buddies. I, I have no doubt about that. I have no <laughs> doubt about that. They sound like they're born from the same cloth. That's right. Uh, and, uh, and, and such. So, and I think that cloth is something that maybe we don't see as often. I'm not going to say it never exists. I'm not one to think that our next generation doesn't have this skill. I don't believe that. But I do think that it's a skill that deserves training and should not be just expected. You and I might be hired for a job in our 20s and already bring this to the table because of the culture we grew up in, and not everybody is in that same environment. So we better teach what we want and not leave it to chance. No, I think, I think, that's, a, I think that's a very good point, even simple things. Like the company that I work for, um, very successful, went from zero to 10 billion in 20 years, very successful company. 
And the, the CEO had a policy that you would never ask somebody who called for their name. And, and I could not understand why, because I always, when the call would come to me, want to know who it is. And, and he says, because if you're not busy, you don't want that person to think that they're, you're really free, but you don't want to speak to them. Oh, interesting. And so if, if Lori's calling and I know it's, and they know it's Lori and the answer is Evan's busy, you might think, well, he doesn't want to talk to me. But wow. if the person doesn't know, I'm yeah. sorry, Evan's busy. Can I get your name? And I'll have Evan call you back. They can't feel that way. Very interesting. I don't know that I've heard that one before. That's, plus, that's a good point. Plus, and this is the, another interesting part of it, he said, is I never want anyone in here to dodge a call. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone in here to dodge a person just because they're not. So it's kind of like mystery date. Open the door and see who's on the other side, right? And, but, you know, it's interesting because it gets back to this whole thing of expectations. Right. I, I was brought up with tremendous customer service values, but not that one. Yeah. And, you know, I learned something. And uh-huh. I think taking the time and defining expectations is so, is so, is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. And I do agree with you. There are tons and tons of little decisions that, that, company, that companies uh, make. Um, now, we're going to run out of time very quickly, but I, I want to talk to you about empowering people. What do you recommend? How do you recommend that you teach employee empowerment? Right. Well, I think there's two people that have to be taught. I think sometimes we need to teach the leaders about empowerment before we can actually teach staff. So I'm gonna answer it concisely as I can in a two-part piece. The first one is, my, my, I like to think about the employees like, and, and I'm not calling them a dog, but for the metaphor, we're gonna use it. They are like the dog with an invisible fence in a backyard. Yeah. And if the invisible fence is only two feet wide on each side, meaning they aren't empowered to move about at all, that dog will stand completely still without joy and without, without the life to them that they could have. But now if we remove that fence and we let them go wherever they want, I don't know if you have a pet, my dog would be in the next county if we just let him go wherever he wanted to go, causing chaos and, and, and probably costing us dollars if we just let him go wherever he wanted. Somewhere in, yeah, somewhere in between those two places is the sweet spot. And so it is not a two square foot, a two foot square, and it is also not the entire countryside. So we have about a half acre uh, piece of land where we live. And if we allow the dog to stay within that half acre and he can do anything he wants inside that invisible fence, he's a happy dog and we're a happy leader. And so now if we take that same thing and we move it over, the only way that our staff can enjoy the freedom of the space is to know where the boundary is. And if we're really clear, you know, when they train dogs on these invisible fence, they get a little shock to the collar that tells them you've reached the boundary. And we can't give him little tiny shocks and then one day just whamp him with an electrical shock that's so strong it could kill him, right? We can't do that. We have to be consistent and we have to be, uh, I guess, consistent and, and not ramp it up. So if I'm going to create an empowerment environment, I show you where the margins are. I show you what the consequence is for going over that boundary. And then in our case at the clinic where I was raised to have great service, the doctor always said, if the decision you make is in the best interest of the patient and in the best interest of the practice, I will always support you. 
Yeah. And to me, that makes sense. Like you can't just have it be good for the customer and terrible for the company because that's easy sometimes, but not good. We also can't have it be just in the eyes of the company at the, uh, uh, what's the word I want to use at the, at the expense of the, of the customer. It's got to be for everybody involved. Now, if I'm consistently giving you those little shocks, when you get too close to the margin, I never have to give you a hard zap. If I'm consistently coming back with the little zaps, which in this example, zaps are words, talking and retraining and get on, getting them back on track. And so my answer to empowerment is you've got to create the boundary. You got to be clear about it. And then allow them to make their own decisions to run about the yard freely as long as they're doing what's best for your business and for the customer. Love it. That's a great answer. A great answer. I am sure all the listeners can tell that Lori is a great speaker just by listening to her, the way she tells stories and makes fantastic points. So um, she does have a website uh, where you can learn about her as a speaker. She also does workshops. Uh, and she has a book. So, Lori, after this, by the way, I'm going to ask you for one tip. And I didn't pre-warn you, which I normally do, but I ask everyone to share. If you had one tip to share, what would it be? Okay. Just a little time to, to noodle on that. All right. Um, but if you uh, could do me a favor and tell people about your website, how they can get your offer, tell people a little bit about your book, because I think people probably want to want to read it. Sure. Thanks. Um, that would be great. Okay, great. Well, to learn more about the speaking part, you can go to myname.com. So it's Lori Guest, and I'm sure you're going to have the the uh, the spelling of that. But just in case, it's I spell Lori L A U R I E, and then Guest is just like a guest in a hotel or just like a guest speaker. And so okay. LoriGuest.com. And then for the book, the book is TenCentDecision.com. T E N decision.com. And also if the people do decide they want the book, if you buy it on that website, the .com I just gave you, you can have the password podcast and that gives you 20% off the book if you want. It's also available on Amazon if people would prefer. The thing I'm excited about with the book and, and uh, those of you listening will have to picture this, but those of you watching can see, it's actually a flip book. So the front side of the book, if you're a team member, you read it from the front cover to the middle. And if you're a leader, watch this, you flip the book over and you read it from the back cover to the middle. There's no duplication of content inside because I believe of an in, believe in an integrated approach to customer service. That means everybody should read the whole book, but who I'm talking to changes by the side that you're reading. And so it's like the flip of a coin on the two sides. And hopefully there's something for, well, actually not hopefully, I know there is something for everybody in the book. So I appreciate you giving me a chance to shout that out for those who are interested. Well, thank you. And it was visually exciting to see. And for <laughs> those of you that don't know, because this is relatively new for us, we are, we are now putting our podcast on YouTube. So they can go see how beautiful we look today. We are yes, rocking it. We are. And I don't know that our voice can really show how brilliant we look today. So you know, <laughs> there you go. Incentive to check us out. Then they can see the books and see, and see the great facial expressions Lori yeah. makes. Uh, Lori, I also believe people can get a free chapter. Can you tell them how they would do that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually one of my favorite chapters in the book. It's on power positioning, words we can use that entice people to want to use our products and services. So anybody can access it. They go to 10 cent decision, one zero cent decision.com forward slash free chapter. 
and it's there waiting for them. And there are great tips just in that one chapter. So there's a sneak peek. You know, this is what I say to everybody listening is that the greatest differential between people that are hyper successful or not is their desire to keep learning and the people that desire to keep learning. And if you follow, and I read some great articles on these things like, like Bill Gates reads a couple hours a day, Warren Buffett reads five hours a day. They're constantly, Bill Gates actually now I think has a whole site where he lists his books that he reads every year. Uh, and, you know, you got to be learning. So, you know, if you're a professional and you're in customer service and you're not buying this book, something wrong. Get your company to pay for it. It's cheap yeah, enough. Yeah. You, know, it, it. you know, one one good idea makes you know makes makes it worthwhile. So, have you ever seen a good idea and you're wondering why didn't they invent that sooner? Like I think of wheels on suitcases. That is that is a brilliant idea. Why did we go years and years and years of carrying a suitcase? You see these ideas and you think, how can I make that apply to my business? There's good ideas everywhere. You just have to be looking for them. You know, I, I learned this. This is completely off topic, but this is so funny. Toilet paper was invented in 1904. Really? What, what did they do before? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, must have been newspaper. They were selling more papers back then than we do now. <laughs> Newspapers, cloths they washed. I, I mean, I, I, you know, just stunk. I don't know. But I mean, to me, what a life-changing invention. Toilet paper. Oh, that you know, is something, a big one. Something we totally take, take, totally take for granted in our, in our right. lives. So, uh, Lori, we're now at the point where we're coming to the end. If you have one tip to share. That, it, that you would share with everyone? What would that one tip be? If I only could give one tip, it's pay attention to the words that are being used by your team. Use the best words you possibly can. And we have a tendency to have some robotic words in service that we should think about removing and becoming more engaged in the language that we use. So my quick example would be stop saying sorry all the time. We apologize for everything in customer service. If you owe an apology, lean in and own it. Or if you're showing a true sign of empathy, then fine. But all the other sorries that you don't really mean, like I'm sorry for your weight, let's find better vocabulary and let's create a stronger customer experience with the strength of our words. Ooh, I really like that. I really do. That's fantastic. I want to thank everyone who's listening. We really appreciate you. Lori, I want to thank you for being a guest on our podcast. Really appreciate it. And it was great fun. Thanks for having me, Evan. This has been Training Unleashed, but it doesn't stop here. Just go to trainingunleashed.net to subscribe to the show. That way, you'll never miss an episode, and you'll be well on your way to delivering training programs that are off the chain. We'll talk to you next time on Training Unleashed. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.